Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. This is episode 14. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. And with me is Ward Carroll, the uh, Outreach Director at the Naval Institute and uh, former F-14 Rio and uh, also very uh, successful novelist who wrote the Punk's War series, Punk's War, Punk's Wing, and Punk's Fight. Ward, happy Wednesday. Well, it's great to be here, Bill, uh, in snowy Annapolis. Um, and again, I apologize for my voice here. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot going on. I mean, it's been an incredible week in terms of uh, events. And, and uh, we have a great guest uh, today to, to, to bring us, uh, you know, perspective and, and, uh, and sage commentary here. Uh, actually, the best guy we could possibly have for this particular topic. So a lot of uh, people who have been listening to the podcast know that we've been talking about surface warfare, especially in the wake of the McCain and the Fitzgerald incidents last year, the many reports that the Navy has put out in the last uh, couple of months, and also uh, articles by people like John Cordell and Kevin Iyer. Uh, and today we have uh, our guest is Commander Salamander. Uh, the uh, pseudonymous uh, blogger, uh, probably the most prolific blogger. Pseudonymous? Is that a word? Yeah, it's probably not I like it. Yes. I'm going to use it Pseudon- a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, but uh, Commander Salamander is a retired Navy commander. Uh, that's all that most people know about him. Uh, but he has written uh, for the Naval Institute blog many, many times over the last decade. Uh, and and uh, he caught our attention today with his blog post uh about uh it's titled an obstinate organization uh and um so we'll go uh right now to to uh, commander salamander and uh, sal can you uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh tell our listeners about why you use a pseudonym and then we'll get to your article sure well, well first of all thank you very much for the for the invitation uh, i appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you gentlemen uh, today about whatever we wind up uh, bumping up. Uh, but, you know, why Commander Salamander? I, I do get asked that on occasion. Uh, and uh, it's, 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 it's kind of evolved over, over time. I, I jokingly, uh, amongst a small group of people, call myself one of the paleo bloggers. I've had a blog since 2004 and, and back when I was on active duty. And, you know, blogs kind of derived uh, a bit from message boards and things like that where uh, people would use pseudonyms on a regular basis. And I, I did as a blogger uh, because uh, I, I'm kind of a little bit of a history nut. And I know uh, throughout the history of our republic, even pre-revolutionary, uh, people had written under pseudonyms and uh, because they were interested in not having the personalities get in the way of the ideas have the ideas out there, not the people. So that way you, uh, if not force, you at least encourage the, the reader or the listener to engage with the ideas, vice the personalities that are in it. And even in the Navy, you go back to um, the predecessor to the Naval Institute, the Naval Lyceum. You had a lot of authors who uh, wrote under pseudonyms. And so I was real comfortable with that, and it achieved what I wanted on active duty, my um, my boss did not get those uncomfortable phone calls um, that I used to make for my boss when people would write things that, that were not on the approved list for their particular community. Um, my uh, my subordinates didn't have to worry about what the boss thought, 
because uh, really it was none of their business, and I didn't care that they knew either. And in retirement, I, I, I thought about it, and uh, I'm not completely pseudonymous, if that's the word we're going to try to use. Uh, there are people who know me in real life. They know uh, that uh, Mark Twain is Sam Clemens. Sam Clemens is Mark Twain. I, I break bread and, and um, have drinks and visit with them on a regular basis. Um, but it's, I think it served me well in retirement because it's maintained that, that great North American construct of um, people writing under pseudonyms. And I, I understand the critiques that people have today. They existed hundreds of years ago as well. Um, but I, in my civilian incarnation of my brief time on the planet, uh, I have nothing to do with the government. I have nothing to do with the military. Uh, I am about as pure civilian you can get in my new life here. And uh, so what I write and what I talk about, um, it's got nothing to do with my job. It's got nothing to do with promoting my name. It's just the reason I started blogging back in 2004 anyway. It's all about getting the ideas out there and um, see if anybody finds them of interest. So as a retired Navy commander, you care about the service, but you're you're past it. You're not a contractor. You're not in the Navy. You're not working for the government or working for the Department of the Navy. Uh, you just have ideas and you, uh, you share them. Yes, sir. That's it. Yeah. So the ROE is a little bit different for our listeners and uh, for proceedings readers. Uh, you know, proceedings does not publish uh, – uh, under pseudonyms or anonymously with with few exceptions uh, occasionally we will get requests from authors uh, I, I i would imagine that over the years it's uh, it's a handful or less that we've actually published anonymously uh, and namely uh, when somebody thinks they have an idea that is going to get them in trouble uh, and, and they will not publish uh, under their name and proceedings uh, staff and the editorial board has uh, on a case-by-case basis over the 144 years decided that it was in the best interest of the service and the idea to publish anonymously. But as a, as a general rule, we do not do that. It's a very uh, rare thing. But our, but our blog rules of engagement are different, and so we allow people on the, the USNI blog uh, to use pseudonyms or to to be anonymous. Well, Sal also brought up rightfully uh, the Lyceum construct, uh, which is predates the the Naval Institute, um, and uh, so this is called a proceedings podcast, but we represent the entire quadruple threat that is the USNI content machine, um, right? So that's proceedings, naval history, the blog, USNI news today, USNI news, the and press, the press. Right. So that's like six. I said quadruple threat. Whatever it's a great constellation. It's a constellation, exactly, and it's plug and play, um, and. As Bill said, your story this morning, uh, it grabbed me first thing. And, and, you know, I retweeted on Twitter and said, today's must read. Absolutely. Um, so let's bring everybody up to date on current events in the last 48 hours, which is, um, you know, we had talked uh, about the, uh, and, and as you mentioned, Bill, some weeks ago, we talked about the two reports that hit the streets, um, which were very, very comprehensive about the chain of events that led to the mishaps on both Fitzgerald and McCain. Um, A few shows ago, we had Kevin Iyer aboard to talk about um, a number of things, including his article in this month's proceedings, which really was all the rage at, at SNA last week. A lot of discussion about that. 
Um, so we want to talk about about that, and we also want to talk about the companion piece, if you will, that is, is now in amazing stark contrast, written by um, Vice Admiral Tommy Rowden, um, who I will say in, in terms of uh, truth in, uh, in advertising is a classmate, a guy I've known well since uh, we were 18 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, I, on a personal level, I'm heartbroken for how this, it, this has ended uh, for him. Um, but we also need to remember that, uh, you know, the, the main tragedy is 17 sailors have been killed in peacetime operations over the course of the summer. So, as I said, current events, the latest report, which uh, has a, 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 a label, let's just call it the Jagman investigation. I don't know if that's technically correct, but uh, this one can find criminal uh, culpability. And, in fact, it has... Uh, said in the case of the two skippers that uh, they will be charged with negligent homicide and also as a second order consequence of this report Admiral Rowden has been asked to go home right so the original change of command was going to be in in April it was slid to the left to 2nd of February and now um, according to the reporting of USNI News and Sam Legrone he'll be uh, tendering his resignation tomorrow and Admiral Brown will be coming in, and there'll be little to no fanfare. Um, so that's the current events, and uh, a, a change of command without the band. Yeah, a change of command without the band, right? Um, so um, let, let's let's talk about Sal's piece here, um, which you've already mentioned is called an obstinate organization. Um, Sal, talk to us about what your what compelled you uh, to put pen to paper here in in a, in, in a very. Uh, of unflinching way, which is your style anyway, but this one is, is particularly uh, pointed. And I, I think I even I mentioned in, in the post that uh, you know, these, uh, the people that I mentioned by name, and I usually don't like to, to mention things by name, but sometimes you have to. And these are all people, um, and as you mentioned, um, a lot of our peers know them personally. Um, they're good people. They've dedicated decades of their life and service to their Navy. They're all Naval all Academy class of 82. <laughs> yeah. And, and all these, all in everything good that goes with that comma. However, and I think you've, you framed the discuss, the discussion quite well. We've got 17 dead sailors and we have, we have two former CEOs that are facing negligent homicide. Article 32 is coming up. And I think they got dereliction of duty, hazarding a vessel, Lesser included offenses, I think our attorney friends would call it. Um, so we, sh- we we shouldn't be be shy about being um, direct but fair. And over the weekend, and I actually sent a, a note to a, a couple of my little confidants saying, "Hey, is this me? What am I reading here?" Uh, over the weekend, I read and I linked to the articles in the post. Um, comments by Rear Admiral Boxall, Vice Admiral Roden, uh, Admiral Davidson, and I cover their specific topics. And it, to be frank, it 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 upset me, um, gritting teeth, upsetting because a little under a month ago, and I I wrote about it at the time and, and a couple times since then. We had the uh, strategic readiness review that came out, um, which I, if people have not read it, by all means, go read it. Um, and also read who wrote it, because there's some people there 
that had significant content providing positions that pretty much put themselves on report. It's a remarkable document I think everybody in the Naval Service should be proud of that was produced uh, as the unfortunate byproduct of 17 sailors being killed in their, in their sleep or in their racks and as they struggled to escape from the impact. Um, less than a month, and I'm hearing this stuff coming from our naval leadership that seems totally disconnected because the McCain and the Fitzgerald aren't the only two events that happened in the last year. There were four major ones, and, and people can review it on previous posts as they, as they wish. But these comments and these discussion topics were as if it never happened. And um, one of the cores that came out of the Strategic Readiness Review was a, a, an exceptionally powerful concept. Are we a learning institution? There have been books written about military being learning institutions uh, over and over. You know, uh, what's his name? He wrote yeah, "Eating Soup with a Knife." His name's passing me right John now. John Noggle. Yes, yes. Um, there's a whole litany where we, we using imperial we, uh, constantly want to be a learning institution because when you don't learn uh, in this line of work. You don't lose money, you do it out of business. People die in nations to get under strategic risk. And there, there seemed to be a complete lack of learning, almost as if, okay, we published this, this document. Um, we did a Friday dump of this document in December. Now let's pretend it never happened. And I, I just found that infuriating uh, because I know we have some great leaders who've talked about um, humility, talked about being a learning institution, but words are one thing. When your actual people who are making policy and decisions are saying something on the completely opposite side of the coin, it, it concerns me. Because if you've identified a problem, and then after you identify it, you go, I've done my job, I've identified the problem, but it's too hard or it hurts my feelings or somebody else's feelings to change anything, then you're going to continue rolling the dice. And we may go another week, another day, another year, another three years, and then we're going to have the same events happen. Because as you all know, um, the latent causes, many of which are outlined in the report in December, they didn't just show up in 2017. They didn't show up in 2016 or 2015. They were exacerbated, made worse. And especially if you talk to um, our near-peer allies, I use the British and the Dutch, um, as my, my favorite go-to uh, navies, just because I'm more familiar with them. Um, they don't have similar problems than we do, and it's got nothing to do with scale. It's got nothing to do with money either, nor does it have to do with the equipment you're doing. It has to do with culture. It has to do with priorities and where professionalism comes into that. And it looked great in December, and uh, over the weekend when I read these articles over and over again, and some of the reports that I got from um, SNA, I realized, no, um, we're, we're just marching forward as if nothing happened. And it, it, at least at that snapshot in that week, maybe there's a lot going on in the background we don't have visibility on yet. And maybe um, Vice Admiral Roden's relief is part of that. Maybe the big boat is slowly turning. But all indications uh, that we have right now is the institutional inertia 
is, as I use the term, regressing back to the mean. Yeah, Sal, that's, that's the that's easiest a, thing to do. That's a great point about inertia, right? Uh, one of the indicators that we've been looking at here in, in Beach Hall uh, for, you know, is the is the Navy starting to turn in a direction that's going to help it out of this hole? Uh, so every week we publish the fleet tracker, which is, you know, where the Navy is. Uh, it's unclassified slides provided by the Navy, but, you know, it's what, what carrier strike groups and ESGs and, you know, what ships are on deployment, how many are deployed in each fleet area. And as you, if you look at that from week to week, uh, and, and many of the reports, the three big reports that the Navy's put out have all mentioned this, that op tempo right now in the Navy uh, over the last few years has essentially been about 100 ships underway or deployed at any given time, right? And it goes up or down a couple ships, you know, a week, but it's right around 100 per week. Uh, and that's the same number. I think uh, the, one of the reports, the Comprehensive Review, pointed out that in in 1987, 88, when we had nearly a 600 ship navy, that's how many ships we had underway on a given day. Right during the Cold War, Soviet Navy chasing them around the Med and Westpac, etc. The, the 600 ship navy had 100, 100 ships at, uh, at sea, uh, and today with a 280 ship navy. We have the same number of ships underway, and that's not sustainable, right? You have a supply and demand problem. And so, you know, we I've, I've been talking to Sam Legrone, to Fred Rainbow, to Admiral Daly. Ward and I have talked about this. When are we going to see that number come down after Fitzgerald and McCain? When are we going to see that fleet tracker start to indicate 80 ships underway, 75, 85, and, and show it that the never. Navy's that the Navy's going to take a pause, right? And we haven't seen it yet. So we're six months after McCain. Yeah. Uh, seven, eight months now after the Fitzgerald, and and we I haven't seen any indicator that there's a pause, that there's a hey, you know, we actually need to reduce our op tempo uh, because you know we found that it's too high. Well, it's it's worse than that, right? And and this is Sal's point, and I want to get into that in a finer point um, as we're talking about the specific rhetoric and terminology and and pop culture <laughs> references that they're using from the dais and various, you know, forums, right? Um, so the the first thing that I want to bring up uh, is the contrast, and we were talking about this this morning, because we were talking about this during SNA uh, at the, at the you know, at the booth uh, as people would come by. We're like, hey, you got to check out Kevin Iyer's article. And then, oh, by the way, pretty much right next to it is, um, the ship boss's article, you know, which is uh, sort of what you would expect from that billet, right? It's sort of boilerplate, um, but it's it, it it rings again. This is to Sal's point. It rings really. I mean, either you can be polite and say um, tone deaf, or you can be less than that and say disingenuously so. Um, yep. and, and we were talking about some of these. Well, so we all know everybody who's been on a flag staff. I was a Dare Lant. Um, you know, the flag writer motors in and, and he plugs and plays. You know, Tommy Roden, it's probably no surprise, I, I would say, probably didn't write this article. He certainly reviewed it and, 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 and so forth. I mean, this doesn't sound like Tommy talking, right? right? Um, but there are some specific terms you were pointing out this morning that, that sound in in the face of current events uh ridiculously out of 
uh, unawares. Out, out of right? touch. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he starts off pointing out, hey, we had a hard year in 2017, right? And he says, over the summer, two tragedies took the lives of 17 sailors on Fitzgerald and McCain. But then... It, it becomes a, a very bureaucratic sounding. It's buzzword compliant. It, it's buzzword compliant. Yeah. And, and as we talked about, you know, in the uh, Admiral Clark, Admiral Entenheyer, Admiral Lafleur days of leading the surface Navy, this push towards Harvard Business School uh, efficiencies. Right. And so right here, there's there's two in the next section on readiness. There are two sentences that just ring of that whole kind of this is a business process, you know, that we're dealing with. Right. The first one is uh, the two essential processes are at work in today's surface force. The production of readiness is a function of many inputs tied to available resources. And then it goes on. The consumption of readiness is the purview is the purview of operational commanders, primarily the numbered fleet commanders. So it's it, it's not war fighting. It's not. You know, men and women at ships driving. It's it's you know this consumption of a, of a um, consumption of readiness, production of readiness. It's it's of a business. commodity. It's of, of a commodity. commodity. It's a business process. Yeah. Speak right. Yeah. So let's get one, let's get back the, to Sal's yeah. Sal's article. So Sal, you, you you first let's start with your reaction to the ship boss's comments, and let's talk about your reaction. Then we'll talk about your reaction to Admiral Davidson's comments. The. I just want to touch base on something you brought up because it. This is why I wouldn't say I was on a I was on a hair trigger, but perhaps I had just um, lost my uh, lost my patience, so to speak. But that a few weeks ago it seems longer, but it wasn't. It was after the uh, readiness review. Everybody remembers that three carrier photo op that we did over in Westpac to show the flag. Um, that's the cover uh, of sure next month's issue of Proceedings. By it, the way. Yeah, we have a great, great cover picture. Well, there we for, go. For February. I didn't know that ahead of time. And I'm sure y'all heard the same thing that I've heard from the fleet. We know what unnatural acts had to take place, not just in Pack Fleet, but scratching stuff in Conus to make that happen. That doesn't come without a cost. Long-term cost, medium-term cost, and short-term cost on readiness and training in order to achieve that photo op. Does that, is that evidence of a learning institution? No. And um, the, you know, I also, I'll, I'll touch base before I get on with it, because you brought up uh, a hobby horse. One of the worst things the Navy ever did is it's two-week MBA in a box speak that they send our flag officers to. Uh, as somebody who has an actual real uh, GPA, that's like giving a loaded gun to somebody and all you've told them is to make it work, you pull the trigger. They're going to hurt themselves more than anything else. You know, that it doesn't count. I'm sorry. All you get is the buzzwords and it's just kind of silly. But um, anyway, I, I believe you wanted me to talk a bit about uh, what uh, Vice Admiral Roden, the comments that he said that, that got me kind of moved. And it goes to, to what you were talking about. Um, that there's this strange disconnect as if I'm going to say some stuff that on paper looks raw, raj and great. And I have one or two assumptions. Either I have an ignorant audience who has no knowledge of history or of their Navy, or I'm talking to a non-critically thinking audience that won't tap into their knowledge of history. 
um, he brought up all these great technologies are coming forward, and, and I don't. I've never been a fan of happy talk because I think it's insulting, especially when you when you're amongst peers. It's, it's just ridiculous. You can't come out and, and say that maritime strike tomahawk is something new, lovely, and sexy. I have a copy of the 1986 maritime strategy that I actually have in a nice little sealed container in my library. Tomahawk anti-ship missile. I got news for you, shipmate. That's Ronald Reagan capability. You can put a new years on ago. it and update the software, but that's not new and exciting. Having an anti, have a, um, a standard missile with an anti-service capability to go into SM6. Hey, that's great. Um, you know, a, uh, but again, that's nothing new. We had that capability with SM1 before we got rid of it. Uh, don't don't tell me that's something new and sexy. And don't try to get anybody exciting because you went to Lowe's. You got an arc welder, a bunch of cable, and some extra strong duct tape, and you're strapping on some harpoons on the front of an LCS. That still has less firepower than my friend Bob Hines' uh, Pegasus Hydrofoil. Again, 1970s, 1980s. This is great. It's better than nothing. But let's not tell sweet little lies to each other. We have the world's largest Navy. And I'm not the only person to make this argument. But we're not the world's best Navy when it comes to seamanship and doing the fundamentals right. We're just simply not. If you're going to say that, you know, fine, go to a Tony Robbins self-help session and go walk on some coals. That, that's great. Make yourself feel great. But it's not a reflection of reality and what needs to be done. Well, well Sal, there uh, were two, yeah, two other things on, uh, you know, similar to this uh, that we were talking about capabilities. You know, we had um, Kevin Iyer on just before Christmas. We talked about the LCS system, uh, you know, program. Uh, and we talked about, you know, weapons and, and the mission modules. And there's a news story out today that the LCS program plans to buy 24 surface warfare, 24 ASW, and 24 mine mission modules. So we're, we've had these ships now for the program, what, 10 years ago, they started bending metal, and we're finally actually buying the mission modules that are supposed to put the teeth in them. I mean, that's, you know, and what, what Ward and I didn't get to talk about with, uh, with Kevin, and I brought it up afterwards, is that the Chinese, you know, built these Hobei-class PTGs. Uh, they've got 80 of them with eight surface-to-surface cruise missiles, uh, and that's like the smallest thing in the Chinese Navy, right? Well, and they're more capable built for a fifth of the cost. A fifth of the cost, cost. more capable than our LCSs, and they've built 80 of them. Yeah. And that's not even something... Well, the other thing that Kevin brought up was those mission modules are not... There's no agility. Once you make it a ASW... LCS, that's it. That's what it's going to be. Right. And, right? and this, this article today is saying, you know, yeah, we're going to, they're going to be semi-permanently, meaning permanently right. installed yes. on those ships. Yeah. So if yeah. you're, if you're, if you're semi-permanent, it's just, it's, it's like being pregnant. You are, if, if I could, if I could give a shout out to somebody here, um, he, he no longer blogs for a variety of reasons and he's no longer on active duty, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride my hobby horse for a second, then I'll hop off. But, um, Almost a decade and a half ago, not quite, almost a decade and a half ago, Chap Goodby, um, Godby, excuse me, and a few other submariners uh, who got pre-briefed on the whole mission module concept, they said in the mid part of the first decade of this century that when it's all said and done, you're going to permanently bolt mission modules on these ships and they're never going to move. The submarine community has some experience with this, and they have been proven 100% 
Correct. Now, is, is, is that ultimately the, the best solution for LCS? It may very well be. You, you make the best of what you have. But, uh, again, it, it, it's, it's intriguing to see those that were PCS early, uh, fired from their job, are told to uh, shut up in color, have been proven right about LCS. But it's what a few hundred years of naval construction uh, experience would actually tell people if they made the effort to be humble enough to uh, uh, take that experience on board. Yeah, and I think if we say it's the best we can do with what we got, lets a whole bunch of people off the hook um, in terms of, like Bill was talking about, a specific readiness capability that if the balloon goes up, we're probably going to get our ass handed to us in terms of a peer-to-peer LCS war, if that's a thing. Uh, in, right? in the South China Sea, at least. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, that, you know, yes. we're, we're, if we're playing a, yep. an away game and somebody else is playing a home game, uh, yeah, we're we are in for a rude awakening. I think. Well, um, here's 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 my here's my two cents worth in that scenario. Like we've seen in the past in the opening months of any conflict, if we go to a peer or near peer. Um, exchange. Uh, you go to war with what you got. Um, what will happen is what's happened before. You'll have suboptimal platforms that are put forward. They're going to get bloody. They're going to get sunk. Hundreds of sailors are going to die. And then the leadership will go pull those ships off the front and we're going to go put them in secondary and third level theaters, whether it's the Aleutian Islands or whether it's convoy escort in the Atlantic, which is what they did with the suboptimal units in World War II. Or they're just going to come home to use for training. That's what's going to happen with LCS if we ever, unfortunately, uh, come to that. Because our fleet is of such a size, and we, we've sold ourselves a certain bit of peacetime wishful thinking, that they, they will go forward because they have to, because that's all the maritime component commander is going to have. Hey, Sal, another another thing that came out from the news last week at, at SNA was the announcement uh, that the Navy is expecting the the new the next generation frigate uh, to cost nine hundred and fifty million to a billion dollars per copy, uh, and I think that gets to your point about us being a, an, an obstinate organization, right? How can we, uh, you know, as we've struggled to to try to maintain anywhere close to three hundred ships on a uh, a restricted defense budget? For the last 10, 15 years now, uh, how can we even think that uh, we can afford frigates, not cruisers, uh, not DDGs, but frigates at a billion dollars a copy, which really means that, you know, this is still in the design phase. They're, the Navy is accepting six or seven different competitors or, or submitting proposals, which means we're five, six years from bending steel on the first one. Uh, by the time we start rolling them out, we all know that those are going to be cost creep. We're really talking about $1.3, $1.5 billion a copy for a frigate. Like, you're not going to get to 355-ship Navy with, with the current you know amount of ship construction we have, or even what we would hope we would have, unless, you're, unless you can churn out frigates for, you know, four or $500 million a copy. You can't do it. They're, yeah, what they're really talking about there is a, um, a light des- destroyer. Uh, it's the same, the same mindset that unfortunately results in us not having a modern cruiser. The, the Chinese have their Type 55 that they call a destroyer. It's really a cruiser. They have that in serial production now. They'll work out the 
the wrinkles with hole one like everybody does, but all indications they have a nice solid platform. We're still working off uh, the Tyco, which is just a modified spruance hole. Uh, because the CGX program created this monster, because they lacked any type of fiscal or program, programmatic control, and the, the one billion plus frigate, it's the same as if, and this is a true story, uh, my truck right now has 150K on it. I need a new truck sometime soon. So um, I want to buy a new F-150. I got, you know, I have a budget of $45,000. For, to go out there and buy it. So I go out there, and yeah, I can find an F-150 for $45,000, but you know what? It, it doesn't have the crew cab. I want to get the crew cab. Yeah, but I want four-wheel drive. I want the Lariat package. I want the satellite. Before I know it, I'm at $68,000. <laughs> and uh, true story. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, I have one of two choices here. I either say, I can't afford to get a new truck. I don't have $68,000. So I'm going to keep driving my old F-150 till it gets about 225K on it, and it drops a transmission, which is probably what I'll do. Or I'll go, you know what? I got a budget. I'm going to get a new truck. It's not going to have the crew cab and four-wheel drive. So what do I need more, the four-wheel drive or the crew cab? But I got to stay in my budget because I need a new truck because I can't drive all the way up to South Dakota again and have my truck die on me somewhere in Illinois. I just can't do it again. That's the problem we have with um, the new frigate. We have control over this, in theory, unless the, the, the Navy supports the program, vice the program supporting the Navy, which is another problem. Um, we can define the terms. We just have to be relative to what we want to buy. It's kind of like the old, um, you know, do you want a Fletcher class DD or do you have one, one, one of the smaller DEs? A big size World War II uh, destroyer had two banks of torpedoes. The DEs had one bank. You know, how much do you want to spend? How, how many numbers do you want? Do you want 15 light destroyers, heavy frigates that can kind of little mini Arleigh Burke? Or do you want 25 frigates with a capability like a Norwegian Nansen class? It all depends upon what you want to buy and how much you want to spend on it. Is numbers more important or is capability more important? And kind of on a related subject that I I touched on, um, I think we need to be careful, too, that we don't fudge our numbers by going off the discredited math of the optimal manning cult. It's a cargo cult um, that we're going to minimally man these ships, and that way it's going to cost less because we don't have to get as many sailors. And one of the little white lies we tell ourselves, on a regular basis, we say sailors are, are our most important asset. That's what we say, but what we actually mean is sailors are our most expensive asset. So if we want to afford 10 widgets, we need to get cost somewhere. Now, do I minimize that cost? by uh, having fewer VLS and uh, sending less money to that defense contractor? Or do I save save money up front by saying I'm going to have 20% fewer sailors so I don't have to buy them and retrain them until whole one gets commissioned and I realize I can't do my job 
So I got, I've got to go to Lowe's again to get my duct tape cables and arc welders and weld on additional berthing in one of my mission module spaces so I can actually put the sailors on board that we need to operate in peacetime conditions. Well, so we, we know how this goes, and we've had this conversation about sequester, right? Um, and I will say that back in 2012, um, when I was you know doing my pundit thing on XM Radio or whatever, talking about how is this going to play out, um, it, it it starts with people, right? You you send people home, and the first thing that's fungible as you reduce budget is the people piece. So you know, reduce end strength, mid career guys, you know, uh, pass not advance, and you know, guys are reservists are shown the door, et cetera, et cetera. It's the oldest story ever told in the U.S. Navy. Um, then goes benefits, right? So now the GI Bill is not, you know, spouses aren't eligible and there's all sorts of caveats and MWR isn't doing discounts anymore. And oh, by the way, they're only open for three hours a day, you know, so forth and so on. Um, and then the program of record might get adjusted in terms of the buy, but that's a, you know, fit up proposition, right? So, um, and that's a nice segue to your your second uh, focus item in the blog piece, Sal, which is the the comments by uh, Admiral Davidson about sleep. You know, as we talk about, um, you know, sailors are our most important asset. It seemed a, a little bit brusque, right? And I think you 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 know sort of kneecap that uh, in a, in a very deft way. Um, so talk talk to the listeners about his comments and your response. Again, Admiral Davidson's comment is, is something I had to go back and I had to, to read it again, put down, email email one of my one of my buds and say, okay, this is what I think I'm reading. Is this really what I'm reading? Uh, and to get some validation that, that yeah, that's what you're reading. Um, just completely, almost a parody. Uh, you know, is this a duffel blog post or something of that manner? Is <laughs> It's 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 as if I've got to modulate myself here a bit. Um, it's as if we're blaming our sailors out there that they can't work twenty hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year. Uh, do have no family have no personal life, um, have no human ability to want to interact on a social basis with anybody, uh, to, to do no examination, uh, intellectual exploration, just do nothing but work, stand, watch, sleep four hours, brush your teeth every third day, bathe when your rack mates force you to. Uh, is, is that really the Navy we want? They, they, they talk, he talks about, you know, learning, um, learning about fatigue to know whether, um, you know, we've really robustly, I think his phrase was robust, robustly tested the fleet with their ability to fatigue. I'm sorry, shipmate. McCain and Fitzgerald have already finished that fleet exercise about what fatigue does to sailors and ships. Yeah, I mean, so when when you made that point, the thing that came to my mind when I was reading it this morning 
was the logic that we would put around surge ops, right, during workups, right, where you do the three-day war. And you'd be like, okay, this will be a sprint. You have to learn how to operate for bursts of time, not continuously, but bursts of time, you know, so it was finite. And then you would see at what point the crew broke, uh, you know, guys sleeping in the catwalks on the carrier and so forth and so on, and, and you just make that your benchmark, right? Uh, it, but at that point, you wouldn't go, well, now you need to exceed basic human endurance and 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 go from there. So what was and ironic? get dangerous. Well, but what, what was ironic uh, about the point you make, Sal, is the first takeaway as as we're – you know, trying to mitigate uh, the fallout, even before Joey Alcoin was fired, was the thing where a couple of things. One was we got to stop saying yes all the time. Where that was CNO's first testimony. Um, Admiral you know, No, where where is Admiral No? I'm looking yeah, for Admiral right. No. But I they said find. they. But that was the first thing they copped to, right? I mean, that was another class of '82 guy, CNO, um, was like, yeah, you're right. We we say we have this can-do culture. We've said. Yes, too often we got to wa- stop that, right? And part B was we got to attend to basic human need for sleep, and that's not at all what I'm hearing in Admiral Davidson's comments. Uh, it, and here, here's here's another thing that, that disconnects, and I, I got a little snarky here, but that that's okay. That that's one of my <laughs> one of my charming personality we do snark. Uh, aspects. Um, I've got let's say that I run a logistics company. And I have I employ mostly Teamsters, which are always fun people at a, at a tea and crumpets party. And I'm responsible for for moving goods uh, throughout the southeast. And I'm trying to because truckers are truckers are expensive assets. Um, they're they're not cheap. Uh, the hardware is expensive, but uh, hey, they're they're well paid professionals. So I want to maximize how much I can get out of each driver. So what I'm going to do is um, all my trucks leaving on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, I am going to make them drive an extra 50% more than usual. And I'm going to have cameras in the cab. And we're going to record how many times these people fall asleep at the wheel and run off the road compared to people running on a, on a normal schedule. Good Lord Almighty, if the union guys didn't put me in the ground, the trial lawyers would put me out of business, and I probably would, uh, in addition to being fired, be sent to, to a psyche valve for endangering the public. Um, we know how many sailors it takes to properly man a ship. And if we have a forward-deployed BMD asset commanding officer who can't man his bridge without having personnel cross-decked from a cruiser that has different systems and different procedures so he can get underway and do his job, we've got problems. Yeah, and that's all and that's what happened on McCain. Exercises about how many people are going to fall asleep on the catwalk, uh, you're, you're, you're just sandbagging. You're avoiding making hard decisions, which I thought we were going to start doing after the uh, readiness review. but, yeah. but And that, that, that last point you made, Sal, is a point that John Cordell has brought up a number of times, both on our blog and in proceedings, about circadian watch rhythms, about uh, optimal manning and fleet manning, uh, and some of the... Uh, you know, incomplete truths about manning our our uh, our ships and and squadrons 
you know, assumptions that were made that were not, you know, completely looked at back uh, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and those those same things, you know, came to be true. Like we started out thinking a DDG needed 300 and something uh, crew members and we're down to what? It's under under 300 now. So something has given, which uh, probably is, um, you know, a false assumption, right? So uh, we're out of time for this episode of the uh, Proceedings Podcast. The blog post is called An Obstinate Obstinate Organization. The author is uh, uh, none other than Commander Salamander, who's been a presence, as as he mentioned in the outset, from the early days. He's a blogging pioneer um, back in MyMilitary.com editorship days. And and, uh, so, uh, you know, still out there and, and, and... hitting it with uh with brio this one's right on recommend all everybody listening here uh, uh read it um it's important certainly sal will be uh paying attention in the in the weeks and months to come just like we all will sal thanks for coming by the show today um we'll uh let everybody know that uh sal has his own podcast called Midrats, uh which is available everywhere podcasts are uh, are aggregated um, so check that out. Uh, Sal, Chris Ogden on Facebook Live says the new Ranger comes out next year. Uh, so uh, maybe you want to maybe uh, go away from the F-150 if you don't want to pay $67,000. Um, so anyway. So, I, I, I appreciate the, the financial advice. Yeah. Uh, are there, folks on Facebook are always here to help, as you know. There are, and uh, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate the invitation. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yes, yeah, yeah, Sal's, Sal's piece is also on the USNI Twitter feed today, and it's on our Facebook page. And uh, so thanks for uh, for being with us, Sal, and we look forward to talking to you. And to all of our listeners, uh, thanks. Uh, this was episode 14, and we will be with you next week. And three weeks from today, we will be with you from West out in San Diego for the uh, annual USNI AFCA West Conference. And we plan to have uh, Vice Admiral Tom Moore uh, with us uh, from West. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Remember, victory begins with the U.S. Naval Institute. Cheers.